0: If new to Refuge, I want to say welcome. Uh, at some point tonight, I want you to fill out one of these things. It's called the Connect Card. Uh, we have free uh, stuff for you, so you want to get that to us. Uh, we just ask for some information, and then we give you free stuff. It's awesome. We are in a series called Own It, all right? And as Austin, again, showed us, we—that uh, that is not owning your faith. Nobody's waking your butt up in the morning and saying, hey, it's time to spend time with Jesus. Nobody is saying, hey, we've got everything ready for you to go on a, on a mission trip. Here's your support letter. Here is your money. Everything's ready. We want you to start taking steps, whether you're, some of you guys maybe aren't Christians tonight, and we're super glad you're here. If you're not a Christian tonight and and, and you're here, we're excited about that. But we're talking right now about people who have said, I am a Jesus follower. We want them to own their faith and last week or a couple weeks ago we didn't have service last week because of mother's day i asked everyone in the room who wants to one day get uh married and have some kids and like everyone raised their hand you know most people are like yeah we're into that i said who wants to one day have like a good career where you can maybe take some time you know vacation time and and uh and 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 go to hawaii and so like, oh yeah that'd be cool i don't want to just work every single day all day so i want to take a vacation um and i said how many people want like a nice house and blah 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 and everyone was like yeah yeah that's me And then I asked the question, how do you get there? And for some of the guys in the room, you were like, really? That's mind-blowing that one day, if you never talk to a female, you're not just going to one day wake up and be married. Okay, Like, whoa, who are you next to me in this bed? That's weird. If you never talk to a girl in your life, all right, that doesn't work that way. If you show up to the airport and say, hey, um, we want to go to Hawaii. And they're like, okay, give us your ticket. You're like, you had to buy a ticket? We didn't think that far in advance. That's not going to work for you. Why? Because you need to plan things. Like, guys, if you want to one day get married, you need to start, like, that cute girl in your class. Be like, hey, hey what's up, girl? Hey. Don't do that. It's bad. Uh, be like, hey, I, have, I need a plan to get married, and I think you're it. Don't say that. <laughs> That's not going to work for you. But seriously, there needs to be um, some sort of plan, and you need to buy a plane ticket if you want to go to Hawaii. And here's the deal. We said the same thing in your relationship with Jesus. One day, you don't just wake up, and you go through junior high and high school, and you don't really care about your relationship with God, and you just kind of cruise through, and you're just like, I go to church because my parents kind of make me, and they say, oh, it's 445. It's time to get in the car and go to refuge. And one day, you're just not going to wake up and be super passionate about Jesus. That's not how it works. You don't just one day go from zero to passionate Jesus follower. What happens? You need to have a plan. You need to begin to own your faith. That was kind of one of the reasons we're doing this series is because we're, we're maybe seeing some of that, that one day you just want to get through high school and expect to go through college. And then you're going to wake up and you're going to be a passionate Jesus follower All of a sudden, that's not how it works. That's not how it works for me. That's not how it works for your leaders. Second reason we're doing this series, and this is all just recap, if you weren't here, I encourage you to go listen to the, uh, the first week's message because it really is kind of a foundation for the rest of this series. The second reason we're doing this is because um, I think more than ever before in the culture of teenagers in 2013, there's kind of a reputation that is not really good. And again, I know all of you guys are amazing, wonderful teenagers, and none of you guys fit into these categories. But when I looked up what does the world think about 2013 teenagers, it's not pretty. More than any other time in history, people are saying 2013 teenagers, you know, about 6th to 12th grade, even some into college, are lazier than any other generation of teenagers ever to live because probably technology, like I said last time, Netflix. I know for me, like you could just literally watch an entire season of something and be like, seven days went by, what happened? All I did was turn on the show called Lost, and next thing you know, I'm seven days later. But more than any other time in history, people were saying, teenagers are lazy and, and, and not only that, but they're apathetic, which means that they don't really care whether something's good or something's not good. You're just kind of like, meh, like whatever. And the church, more statistics are kind of like, Oh, that's such a bummer is they're saying in the church, teenagers, who say, maybe as a, as a senior in high school, some of these seniors, man, I, I'm passionate about Jesus, I'm going on a mission trip, and whatever. I, I, they would say, man, I'm a Jesus follower. You say, you check that box on your resume that you're a Christian? Yes. And then people are saying, the statistics say 7 out of 10 of those types of people, by the time they get into their sophomore year, sophomore year of college, for whatever reason, they... They're like, yeah, I used to do the Jesus thing, uh, you know, before college or, you know, because my parents made me or because, you know, that was the cool thing to do in high school. But now I'm not really into it. Those are the, those are the realities of what our culture says. That's what a teenager is like in and outside of the church in 2013. And so we say, hey, how can we, how can we get away from that? How can we kind of beat the mold of what a teenager is supposed to be like and say, no, that's not what God intended for you. And here's the answer. I think the answer is you owning your faith. You say, what on earth does owning your faith mean? Here's what we said, owning your faith mean. This is all kind of recap. I promise it's only been a five minute recap. Owning your faith means this to take responsibility. When we say, own it. Here's what we're saying to take responsibility. And we even said last week that really, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, your responsibility is your response To his ability. Again, if you didn't hear that, you need to go back and listen to the podcast. But as we looked at the, in the Bible, in Philippians chapter 2, there's a story where it said, they tell the story of Jesus on the cross. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And it says that, Paul says that we as Christians are to work out our own salvation. You're like, What does that mean? That means you need to own it. You need to to take responsibility for your salvation. If you say, I'm a Christian in the place tonight, the Bible says you need to to work out your own salvation. And the next verse says this, for it is God that works in you both to will and to do. What's that mean? That there's something happening outside of you, inside of you, from outside. uh, Somebody else is working in you, and because of that, you're working out. And if you've been a refugee any length of time, you know, that's our, that's our heart. We say, you can't do anything on your own. Jesus works in you and you work out. And so really when we say own your faith, we're just saying, respond to what God's doing in your life. Respond to his ability. And that's really you taking responsibility. Last week, I showed a picture of, uh, of me owning a past status of mine, okay? For about six years of my life, I was what the world considers a bro, all right? I showed you guys this picture, and I just like to show it because I'm owning the fact that I used to be a bro. And so here's a picture of me and my buddy Billy Combs. This is me right there on the right. That is me owning. I'm owning it. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm proud of it. But I'm taking responsibility for that ridiculous look right there. Um, if you dye your hair black in here, I don't see anybody, but um, stop, okay? Uh, I own that. that. Maybe you have a past where you say, man, I'm not proud of it, but I own it. Like I show pictures and I throwback Thursday on Instagram. I'm going to throw up pictures of my bro status. Maybe that's you, but um, that's me. That, I'm owning that, all right? I'm taking responsibility. And we talked about a few other serious things last, last week about how we own our faith. But here's really the whole premise, and then we're going to jump into the night. The whole premise of last week, kind of the foundation. If, if this table was last week, this is what we're going to build everything else on for the rest of the series. Last week, we said step one of owning your faith is this, being who God made you to be. Go ahead and put that on the screen. There it is. Step one of owning your faith is this. You begin being who God made you to be. And we kind of unpacked that a little bit. And here's what we came up with is that God made every person in the room to be a worshiper of Jesus. That that's step one. As you understand, I was created by God. Again, maybe you're not a Christian tonight and you're hearing this for the first time. That's awesome. Or maybe you've heard this for a million times. But here's, here's what we're saying is you were created by God to be a worshiper of Jesus. And so step one is you just saying, okay, God, I'm responding to what you're telling me and I'm going to begin I'm going to begin being who you made me to be. I'm going to begin worshiping you. And if you haven't saw it on Instagram, we're doing kind of an own it challenge. We're challenging you with a few different things every single day where you can begin to own your faith in certain areas. And a lot of it has to do with this, that you begin to live out of what Jesus made you to be, which is a worshiper of him. And really, that's the premise of the series. That's the foundation. And we're going to talk tonight about another area of how to own your faith. But here's what, before we go on, I want to make sure, especially the ones that missed last week, you know what I'm saying. You have to understand whether you're in sixth grade tonight or eighth grade, or you're getting ready to graduate and go to college, you must understand that your faith in Jesus is not your parents' responsibility. It's not my responsibility. It's not your small group leader's responsibility. It's not your church's responsibility. Your relationship with Jesus is exactly that. It's your relationship with Jesus. And so God has called us to own that and to begin living that out and being who he made us to be. And so if you have your Bible, I told you to take it out to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. If you have a Bible or maybe you're on the Bible app, Mark chapter 10, we're going to read a story about Jesus as he is, uh, is doing ministry in the world a couple thousand years ago, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible, but again, own it and bring your Bible to refuge. We're always in it. We want you to be taking notes in it. We want you to be, you know, copy pasting if you're using the app. Whatever you do on that. But Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52. Here's what the Bible says. <clears throat> then they, that's Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the road When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene He began crying out saying, Jesus son of David have mercy on me Many were sternly telling him to be quiet But he kept crying out all the more Son of David have mercy on me And Jesus stopped and said call him here So they called and the blind man saying to him Take courage stand up He is calling for you throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus and the answer and answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, rabbi I, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And these next few words are important. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Sometimes I know if you don't read the Bible much, it's kind of confusing. Let me just give you a a quick snapshot of this, of this story. Jesus is with a bunch of disciples. And what that means is yes, he's with his 12 disciples. But at this point, when Jesus starts walking around the earth, hundreds, probably of people are following it, if not for sure, dozens are like, okay, Jesus has been kind of doing this thing around the city. He's doing this thing around the world and we're going to follow him because he's about to do something awesome. He's been healing people. And so there's kind of this, this parade of people walking down the road. And there's this blind beggar, we don't know much about, his name's Bartimaeus. He's sitting on the side of the road, and Jesus and all his entourage is coming down the road. And he, he, somebody says, hey, hey, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. All of a sudden, all this kind of whispering, and oh my gosh, he's coming. The one, the one everyone's talking about is coming down the road. And so this blind guy can't see anything. He's sitting there, and he goes, Jesus! I don't know where you are, but come and heal me. I know you do amazing things, and I want you to do something for me because I can't see, and I'm tired of not wanting to see, and I I want to regain my sight. And So they tell him, hey, just be quiet. He's got other things to do. They tell him, stop. But he cries out all the more, son of David, Jesus, come and heal me. And so Jesus says, "Hey, hey, go get that guy for me. Whoever's crying out with all these people around, go get him. And so they come and say, hey, Jesus wants to see you. So the guy throws off his, his, his jacket and he goes to Jesus and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, teacher, that's what rabble and I means, teacher, I want to regain my sight. I want to see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus. Here's what the, that passage does not say. Jesus heals a guy. The guy was really stoked for a few minutes, and then immediately he began sitting back down and acting like a person who couldn't see. Immediately, he sat down and started playing Xbox. Immediately, he went and uh, asked Jesus where he was going to be next Sunday, and he wanted to come sing a few songs with him. The Bible says immediately he followed Jesus. Jesus on the road. Here's what we we don't know what that means. We don't hear this story much in the Bible. We don't know a lot about this Bartimaeus guy. This could mean he walked with him for a few miles and said, "Man, thank you so much." He thanked him the whole way. But here's what I think it means. Cuz anytime we see this in the Bible where people begin following Jesus, here's what it means. They left everything. Back when he first called his disciples, he said, "Come follow me." And here's what they did. They dropped their nets, and we know for the next 3 years and really the rest of their lives, those fishermen left everything they knew. And follow Jesus. So just imagine this is you. You're just minding your business. You're a blind guy. It's what you do every day. You beg people for money. And you sit on this corner. And all of a sudden one day. Jesus comes along. Heals you. And you begin following him for the rest of your life. That's it. I don't know if he even told his mom and dad. Or his brother and sister. Hey I'm going with Jesus now. Because he healed me. He just, we just know immediately. He began following him. On the road. Here's kind of the the own your faith of, of tonight. If you're taking notes, write this down. Owning your faith includes moving, we must take steps. So where do you get that in this passage? Well, here's what we know. This guy was standing still, sitting on a corner, begging people for money. And one day Jesus comes along, heals him, and this guy gets up. He can see now, and he leaves his life, and he starts following Jesus. I think that's owning your faith. When he's saying, I'm leaving everything I know, at least for a season. Maybe it's not for his whole life, like the fishermen. Maybe it's not like that with the disciples. But we know this guy follows him immediately. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, hey, where are we going? I don't know if I really want to go there. I'm not sure I can afford it. I'm not sure that's really what I want to do with my life. Immediately, something happened to him, and he began following Jesus. Here's what I want us to see tonight, whether you know Jesus tonight or you don't. I want all of us to understand that we have a story like Bartimaeus. If you're a Jesus follower tonight, your story is exactly like Bartimaeus. You were spiritually blind and Jesus healed you of your blindness. If you would say, man, I, I follow Christ, man. I, I remember the time I gave my life to Jesus at camp. or I remember the time at refuge. I remember the time that over a, process, a period of time that a process, my small group leader walked me through what it means to follow Jesus. I remember that. Well, we would say, that's your story. Go, your faith has made you well, and you you saw for the first time your your life in Christ. If you don't know Jesus tonight, we would say you're Bartimaeus, but maybe you're still on the corner and you're spiritually blind. But here's where it gets crazy. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him. All over the Bible, we see examples of where People's faith moves them to action. People's faith moves them, not from a, that was a really cool experience. I'm really excited that happened to me. And thank you, Jesus. But I'm going to go ahead and sit on my corner here now. All over the Bible, we see stories like this. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, here's what it says. Come coming on the screen. I don't mean to say, this is Paul talking. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Here's what he's saying. Right before that, he kind of lists all these things that as Jesus followers, we should, be, we should be about, that we should be striving for in our lives. And he says, hey, I don't mean to say that I got all that down. I'm Paul the Apostle. God's done a lot of work in my life. But I don't mean to say that all of that is taken care of in my life. But here's what I'm telling you, that daily I press on. I press on to be perfect. I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Here's what he's saying. My life is geared to this. I press on. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, here's what it says Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, Christians, Christians, Because of what we see in the the Old Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, right before this, there's this whole thing called the Hall of Faith. It's really cool. You should check it out. Where basically God says, here's all the people in the Old Testament who have done amazing, amazing things. And then the next verse, the writer of Hebrews says, because of all these people, let us strip off everything that slows us down in this race. And let us race the race of endurance. Let us run the race of endurance that God has set before us so here's what I want to ask us tonight we talked a lot about the Bible we talked a lot about people who have faith in God and their response to that I want to ask you a question if you are a Christian in the room which I know a lot of you are do the three examples we just give does that describe your relationship with Jesus That's the question I'm going to ask. Does that describe my relationship with Jesus? Immediately, he began following him on the road. No questions asked. I just go. That I press on to possess perfection. That I run with endurance the race God has set before me. Is that your relationship with God? Is that my relationship with God? Because here's the deal. If we're not careful we'll be caught up in what I what I want to call kind of a roller coaster Christianity. Here's what we what I mean by that is, man, you are going to go, man, summer's coming up, man, school's over. And I don't have to worry about homework and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm going to go to camp, and I'm going to be up at the top of the hill, and it's going to be really, really awesome. And I'm going to come back from camp, and I'm going to be a changed person. I'm going to start serving my family. I'm going to start texting my friends Bible verses. I'm going to start getting up in the morning and reading my Bible. But eventually, because I'm not really owning it, I'm just kind of living off emotion, I'm going to find myself down on a level where I'm going to be like, ah, man, that was cool a couple months ago. But it just didn't stick. And you're going to jump in the next school year. And you're going to be like, man, I was so fired up in the summer. What happened? And then something's going to happen. We're going to do an event at Refuge. We're going to do exposure. We're going to do some sort of other serving event. And you're going to be like, man, that was amazing. Jesus is at work all over my city. And then because we're not really owning our faith, but we're really just kind of living off this emotion, this emotional high of an event, which I've experienced and a lot of you have experienced, we're going to find ourselves back on the valley. And we're going to say, man, what happened? For, uh, for about six years of my life, I, uh, I skateboarded. This is actually my old board. It's really old and messed up. Look at the grip tape. It's horrible. Um, but for about six years of my life, when I was 12 years old, I uh, started skateboarding. And it was, I mean, when I first got my first skateboard, I didn't, want to, I didn't even want to put it on the ground. It was so beautiful and awesome. I just wanted to hold it and look at it. But eventually, I started skating it, and it gets messed up. And then you get a new one, and then you break the other one, and you get another new one. And for about six years of my life, I loved, loved, loved skateboarding. But then I got my driver's license and everyone told me, you're not going to skate when you get your driver's license, man. It just doesn't happen. I'm like, yeah, right, man. I'm going to skate or die. It's, you know, it's my life. Like, no, 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 you're not. You're not going to, I said, whatever. Well, guess what? I got my driver's license and I stopped skateboarding. And so this, this thing just sat that, not actually that one, another board just sat in my garage and I'm like, oh, I should go skating. Like, well, I could drive my truck where I want to skateboard. And so I, I just put it down. And then, uh, I met this hot girl named Candace and, uh, and I started hanging out with her family, and I met her little brother. At that time, he was like 13 or 14, and and he was he was a skateboarder. And I go, oh man, that's cool. I used to skate. He goes, really? You should start skating with me again. And I said, yeah, that's really cool. And so we go to a, the, the skate shop, and it was like, oh, the skate decks on the wall, and I was just like, oh. Ah. And I was super into it because I, I was hanging out with somebody who wanted to 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 get me back into skateboarding. And so I got, and this is the actual board I bought back then. I guess that's like. Eight years ago now, which is crazy, but I buy this board and, uh, and I'm like super stoked about skateboarding it. And for a year of my life, we skateboard like every day we're making like ramps and we go to the park and we doing stuff downstairs and I'm super into it again. Well, then Joey stopped skating. And so I stopped skating. And now the only time I skate is when I see students skating and I'm like, I'm old and they're not going to talk to me. I have to have some sort of common denominator. What's up, dudes? I can skate, too. And then I look like a fool in front of them. That's the only time I skateboard now. But at one point, I was really, 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 really into it. But eventually, it got old. But then I started hanging out with somebody who was really, really, really into it. But then it got old. A couple other examples. In, uh, in 1996, I was 10 years old. I was in fifth grade or fourth grade. And uh, the best shoe ever produced came out. It was called the Nike Air Ultra. And here's a picture of the Nike Air Ultra. Oh, yeah. I knew I had to have that shoe. Like, if I showed up to my elementary school with that shoe on, my life would change. I'd be like a shoe celebrity. I mean, seriously, how horrible is that 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 was cool at one point in the world? Um, But I I told my mom, I have to have the shoe. She goes, well, how much is that? I'm like, they're $120. And back then, even now, if I told my mom I bought a pair of shoes over $100, she would vomit like she did that day. And I said, Mom, you don't understand. This, this shoe is going to make me better at everything I do. Like, it's going to make me a better basketball player and a better, you know, I'm going to play football better. I was a big sports kid. I'm going to play baseball better, and I'm going to go professional, and I'm going to be able to provide for you, Mom. Like, I, I, I need this shoe. And so my mom bought me the shoe. Well, today, I don't know where that shoe is. I probably gave it away. I probably sold it at a garage sale. At one point, it was really, really awesome to me. But then it got old. One more example. iPods and iPhones and iPads, they're awesome. And we all have them. At some, I'm sure at some point you've all held one or you got a new iPhone 5. And, and let me show you a picture of the very first iPod. Okay? Here's a picture of the very first iPod. <clears throat> it was an inch thick... It had a two-inch, non-colored screen. It only could hold about 500 songs, and it was $400. And you look at that, and you're like, seriously? Like, my iPhone's a thousand times better than that, I only paid $200 for it. Well, guess what? I, I never had that, but maybe some of you did, and you don't know what that thing is. You gave it to your brother or sister or you gave it to your dog or you gave it to somebody because you're like that was really amazing and Apple was pushing that man, people were lining up because when that thing came out they, nobody had ever seen anything like it, they were carrying around Discman, you guys remember Discman? You guys were like babies but like you pop up, like hold on let me pull out my, my, my CD pocket and put my, put my CDs in my Discman and it don't run because it'll skip, so then that comes out and that revolutionizes the world of listening to music on the go Well, guess what? Nobody has that. And if they do, they're like trying to set on eBay as like the original iPod. But nobody wants to listen to that because you got your iPhone 5 and you can't play Angry Birds on that. At one point, it was amazing. But then it got old. That's really how every single thing in your life is. Everything that right now you think is amazing, you're going to either never remember or you're going to sell it at a garage sale. Or when the new thing comes out a couple generations later, you're going to give it to your brother or sister or your dog. And it's not going to mean much to you. I believe that students and really people in general, we carry that kind of mentality into our relationship with Jesus. That man, oh man, at one point, my, my sophomore year camp was amazing. I loved it. Or, man, I remember that one series we did at Refuge, or that one series we did at Hope, and I remember it was a really, really amazing, life-changing thing, and we keep looking back to that like it was something special. But unless we're moving in our faith, unless we're taking steps in our faith, and we're continuously growing, we're farther and farther away from this thing that once was awesome. But guess what? Now it's old. And you find yourself in college, you find yourself in high school, and you look back and you go, yeah, um... I used to do that and it was cool, but now it's old. How do you stop that? Because the seven out of ten, eight out of 10, whoever you, you know, people have different statistics, whoever you talk to, the eight out of 10 or seven out of 10 sophomores in college that look back and say, yeah, I used to follow Jesus, but I don't anymore. How do they wind up there? They did not own their faith in the way that they moved somewhere. They didn't follow Jesus in the sense that they're going somewhere. They didn't, they didn't immediately leave what they had and go with him, press on for perfection, move in this relationship with Jesus. See, the truth of the gospel, the, the good news that we get around here and, and Ben just saying about that, that death has been defeated, that, that hell has no sting on our lives, that never gets old. That's not an iPod or a Nike Air Ultra or a skateboard because that's always moving as we spend time with Jesus and as we cultivate that relationship, it's always moving. Following Jesus, this is, a, this is kind of a thought that you want to, might want to write down. Following Jesus always includes action. I, by definition, that's what you're doing. Following Jesus, that's a a verb. You're, You're moving because you're going somewhere with Jesus. It always includes action. And if you want to own your faith, you have to take steps. There has to be something. You can't say, man, five years ago I had that really awesome experience. If your last really cool moment with God was five years ago, I would venture to say you are not owning your faith in the area of moving. If you can't say and I can't say, I'm guilty of this. I'm not not pushing this on anybody. If I can't say, hey, a few months ago or last month or yesterday when I was spending time with God and I journaled that thing because it really stuck out to me and it really spoke to me. If you can't say that and all you're pinning on is that time at camp, that time at that mission trip, or that time at exposure, I would venture to say you're not taking steps in your faith. And here's where I believe that leads you. That leads you to saying that was cool at one point, but... Now it's old. I'm not really into that anymore. James chapter 2 says this, and this isn't going to be on the screen, but James chapter 2 verse 14 says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anybody? Now don't misunderstand that. We're not saying you are saved by your actions. But when you are saved and you are moving a relationship with Jesus, there will be actions there will be steps there will be a trail of God doing things in your life and that's all over the Bible so last question and we'll be finished up what is your next step every single believer on the planet always has a next step there's never a time where you go well I'm, uh, I'm perfect I'm just going to wait around until I die and go see Jesus because there's never anywhere for me to grow no no Every believer, Pastor Vance, me, your small group leader, your mom, who you think is really, really spiritual, and she might be, she may love the Lord, but she has a next step. You have a next step. And not, if not, not even if you're just a Christian. Even the non-Christians in the room, you're next, you have a next step. What is your next step? Maybe your next step is to become a Christian. If you don't know Jesus, that's your next step. I, I can already give you that one. If you're not a Christian tonight, your next step is to immediately stop what you're doing and follow down the road towards a, a God who saved you and loved you and died on a cross for you. Maybe your next step is to be more gracious in your, in your relationships. Maybe your next step is to be baptized. You're, you're a Christian. You've never been baptized. Maybe your next step is you begin serving in your church. Maybe your next step is you begin giving. In a minute here, we're going to have an opportunity to give. Maybe that's your next step. You never really understood that, but maybe God's pushing you to be generous with the gifts and the the money he's given you, and that's your next step. Maybe it's to go somewhere on a mission trip. Maybe your next step is to stop gossiping. Maybe your next step is to have a consistent, quiet time. We got tools in the back if that's you. Maybe you need to just start spending time with God. You don't do that. Your time with God is a 30-minute sermon at Refuge. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it's to get accountability in your life. Maybe there's nobody in your life asking you how your time with God's going. Nobody in your life asking you and challenging you on some sin in your life. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Because you know it's not a healthy relationship, and that's the next step. Maybe the next step is to get the computer out of your room or to get rid of your iPhone, or your iPod, or your iPad, because you know it trips you up. The stuff that Hebrews talked about, getting rid of that sin that so easily trips you up, you know that that gets you in trouble. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is to stop cussing. That was one for me. When I became a Christian, somebody told me, hey, Scott, you can't really say that anymore. It's kind of bad when you're like, I love Jesus. I'm like, oh, Really? I didn't, I didn't know that I was 17. You just walk in the pattern of the world. And so they said, yeah, that that doesn't really kind of gel. And I said, oh, and I began studying the Bible and I began seeing, okay, that's my next step. And so I I stopped cussing. It seems small, but here's the deal. There's no small step in a relationship with Jesus. Every next step is huge because it's you walking towards Jesus. Maybe next step for you is to stop ditching your small group. Right after here, we're going to go to small groups. Maybe you ditch out every time. Maybe your next step is to go. Maybe your next step is to be a little more vocal about your faith. Stop putting it in your pocket and only taking it out every Sunday. Every believer has a next step. Now, I believe when you begin to own your faith, you'll begin to take steps in your relationship with God. Owning your faith means moving Going somewhere, following Jesus always includes action. So where are you going? What's your next step?